It's August 31st, 2011, and this is The Candid Frame. I remember not too long ago, when admitting that you photographed weddings was something that you didn't want to admit to amongst a group of photographers. People who shot weddings were seen as people specializing in kitsch and cliché. Well, in the past 20 years, that's changed. And some of the best photographers around are wedding photographers. These photographers use light, composition, and their people skills to make images that rival anything produced by a photojournalist or a portrait photographer. Today's guest ranks right up there for me. Michelle Turner's images are beautiful, not merely because she photographs beautiful subject matter, but because she brings an awareness of light, shape, and form to her photographs, be they of a couple standing in front of a storefront in the Dominican Republic or just a simple table setting. And on top of all that, she has a savvy business sense that allows her to maintain a successful business by always remembering that she is there to serve not only the bride and groom, but an entire family. I've really enjoyed talking to her, and I hope you enjoy our conversation with Michelle Turner. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for appearing on the show yet again. Um, I've been well, thank you for having me. <laughs> experiencing a host of difficulties in trying to get this this episode up and out, but hopefully this one uh, will knock on wood, uh, not have any issues. I want to start off with talking to you about the importance of wedding photography. I think a lot of photographers consider wedding photography because they think uh, it's a good way of, of, of making money. But for the families involved, this is like the most important day oftentimes of their lives and in your role as the photographer for many of these families what do you consider the most important thing in terms of what you are doing by being present there with your camera well that's a a great question and my answer is twofold first and foremost it's you know weddings are an opportunity for people to get dressed up but also for people from far-flung places to make an appearance. You know, quite often you're looking at families that haven't been all together, at least the extended families, for years. You know, they they could go years um, from event to event without seeing each other. And in some situations, you are going to be documenting a family where, you know, the next time they get together, they might be missing a loved grandparent or a great aunt. So it's really important, at least from that standpoint, to make sure that you get all of the family members really enjoying one another. Um, you know, because in reality, it's not just about the wedding couple and their friends and who's on the dance floor dancing. It's about so much more than that. Um, so you really have to be cognizant of the fact that uh, there are so many important shots that, you, that need to happen during the wedding. And a lot of times the wedding couple themselves, they, they don't know what they want. You know, because it's very difficult for them to say, oh, you know, five years from now, my grandparents might not be here. So you you really have to sort of step in and make sure that even if it's done candidly, that those photographs happen. And then, you know, the second part of my answer is 
it's very, very important for me to make sure that um, that I'm capturing a beautiful, a, a beautiful set of photographs of their wedding day, you know, in the best possible light. And in addition to that, I'm capturing the wedding couple interacting with one another um, in a way that is going to change subtly throughout the years, you know, as they have children and move on. I want to make sure that I capture their love for each other, their commitment to each other on that particular day. So, so it's, it's a mixture. It's a mixture of the, the, fan, um, the friends and family and a mixture of the wedding couple and their celebration together. And I assume in order to be able to pull that off, there's a lot of preparation involved, not just with what's happening with your equipment, but a good amount of, of, of research uh, ahead of time in order to make sure that you, you're able to accomplish that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, finding out who is there, um, who's been divorced, who hates, you know, to stand next to somebody else, who is going to try to fall into the background because they're a little bit shyer. Um, it takes a lot of research into the lives of the couple and their families and their friends as well. So talk about what that process is for you, because I can imagine it, it can be quite hectic, especially for a bride who's trying to put everything together. And sitting down with, you know, a photographer to go over this stuff, sometimes I can imagine it becoming kind of difficult to make the time to make that happen. So what's your process for sitting down with them? Do you meet with them multiple times before the, for the wedding? Do you talk to them over the phone? Does this, is a dialogue that happens via email primarily? Sure. Um, well, for me, I'm going to, my answer is going to be a little bit different than the answer of other wedding photographers, mostly because I'm primarily a destination wedding photographer. Either my couples are traveling from very far away to come to Maine to get married, or I'm traveling very far away from Maine to document a wedding. And so I, I very rarely have a local couple, you know, a couple that's local to New England uh, to work with. So maybe once a year, I'll end up sitting down and meeting with a couple prior to their wedding. So most of my exchange is by email. And I've tailored my emails from the very first exchange, the very first inquiry to reflect that information gathering that I need to do. The very first email that um, I'll send out to them when someone says, are you available on my date? is, you know, a, a very chatty email that really tries to get them to open up about, you know, how they met, how uh, they got engaged, where they got engaged, why they chose the location that they chose. And usually the responses that I get back, it's amazing. You know, they will send me paragraphs upon paragraphs of information of how they met and why um, they've chosen Maine or Mexico or the Dominican Republic for their wedding and what's important to them. And that will sort of snowball into who's going to be there, the theme of their wedding, what they're thinking uh, in terms of the mood of their wedding. And it's really easy once they've opened up to start asking questions about, you know, uh, what important family members are there? Are there any important items, you know, like your grandmother's, a piece of your grandmother's dress that's been sewn into a handkerchief or, you know, you're wearing your mother's veil? It's very easy to get them to, to talk about that. And email for me works great because, you know, then I have a written record of everything that they've said and I can go back, you know, because shooting 40 weddings a year, it's kind of hard to keep them straight. So it's really important for me to have that written exchange so that I can go back and actually read it prior to their wedding, you know, uh, the day before. And that really allows you to connect with them in a way, I think, that, that doesn't happen if you just keep it to the, 
you know, the nuts and bolts of it in terms of just logistics. I'm sure that it makes them feel like you're invested personally in that day more than just providing a service. Absolutely. And I want them to feel that personal connection with me because when I show up, and granted, I've got photographs of myself on my website, and I think that's really important, especially for somebody in my profession, photographs of myself on my website and on my blog so that they can see who I am. I occasionally post pictures of myself with my kids and, you know, with my family. Uh, Most of them are friends with me on Facebook, so they see some of that personal stuff that ekes its way into into my business, and I do keep it contained, but they see some of that, so so they know what I look like coming into it, and I certainly uh, want to develop the kind of relationship where they're emailing me a lot, you know, sometimes once a week, sometimes more than that, and they are looking at my blog a lot so that they can hear my voice and, you know, through my writing, and when I end up showing up, it's not a surprise. They give me a big hug just like I'm someone that they've known for years. And that's really important because otherwise they would feel really, really awkward about, hey, here's this stranger. I've never seen her before. She's showing up. She's got this huge camera, and now it's pointed at me. So it's important to sort of make that relationship solid from the very, very beginning and make them comfortable with you. There's a lot of competition out there um, in in the wedding photography business, and there's some exceptional work out there. But once you've had the opportunity to meet these people, even shoot their weddings and, and, and deliver the product to them, when you talk to them, what, is, what are the, some of the reasons that you hear that these people chose you over other photographers? Well, um, for most of them, uh, and I work with a lot of creative professionals, uh, a lot of photographers, a lot of graphic designers, most of them are coming to me because of composition. And they might not understand, you know, what it is. They, they might not say it in so many words, but they'll say something like, I love the interaction of the bride and groom and how they're in the corner of the photograph rather than the center. Or I loved your use of color. Or I loved, you know, how many photographs of the bride and groom you had combined with, you know, fun photographs of the dancing. Uh, so for a lot of them, I feel like they are somehow connecting to the environmental portraits that I do of the bride and groom. And then they see the other work that I do in addition. And it's it's really fun. And um, I get right into the middle of the dancing, right in the middle of the mosh pit. And I'm there with them. And so I feel like they connect to the candid side of it as well. So it's a combination of factors. But, but it's definitely rooted to a style that I deliver in every single wedding, regardless of the circumstances you know and it really comes across in in the layouts that you've done that look like as if they're in a book that you put on your website that that play as a, as a slideshow mm-hmm. when you look at the images as if they were laid out in a magazine that graphic sense of of composition of light and line and shape really come across in a way that might not immediately be picked up if you're just looking at a single image and right. that's one of the things that i love about the way you showcase your work in that way is that you're not just going, oh, here's here's a great picture, here's another great picture. You reveal that aesthetic that you have, but you also reveal how well you you tell a story, and I think that's that's great. T- tell us about your choice to design those pages and to put your images out in that way. Well, um, part of it is is what you just said. I wanted to show the wedding as a group of images, you know, because it is. 
you can't just point to one single image of the day and say, here it is, here's their wedding encapsulated in this one image. And for me, I have difficulty when I'm looking at one image after another image after another image all laid out um, in single image format. I have difficulty putting them all together in my mind and seeing a picture of the day, um, even if I'm looking at it all in one blog post or slideshow. So that's really why I started doing it. And by a happy set of circumstances, it also served another really important purpose. I, it, it actually helped me to get my target clientele. You sort of alluded to it when you said, you know, it looks like a magazine layout. Well, a lot of my brides are the types of brides that love the magazines. They love the design. They love the details. They're going to put an awful lot of work into their details. And as a result, they're going to want a photographer that's going to focus on some of those details as well and design it like it's going to be published. A lot of them come into it thinking, I want my wedding to be published. And that's a very small subset of uh, wedding clients out there. But it's a subset that I really, really enjoy. I like working with them. I like people that are going to put a lot of time and effort into their details. And so it's helped me to sort of hone and, and really narrow down the clients that are coming to me. They're already pre-selected in a way, which is great because I really enjoy working with that subset of clients. In your book that you recently put out, The Wedding Photography Field Guide, one of the interesting things I see you do is break down the uh, the whole your whole workflow for doing mm -hmm. the couple's portraits into six into six steps. And what sure. I found really interesting is that you don't immediately jump into posing, which I think most mm -hmm. people would assume that you start thinking about setting even before you do anything else. Talk about the importance of finding setting even before you start positioning people within the scene. Sure. It's really difficult, at least for me, it's very difficult to come up with a polished photograph if you start with a couple, if you're starting with, you know, their position relative to one another, um, because then you're going to have to sit there and tweak them a lot, you know, move them around, shift them, rotate them, move them, you know, five feet to the right or to the left. For me, it's much easier to come up with the scene, you know, and I try to, to take a photograph of a scene that would be beautiful with without a couple in it. That's the important part. You know, would this photograph be beautiful even if I didn't have a lovely couple in a wedding dress and tux standing in it? And uh, if the answer is yes, then, you know, because it already has the beautiful light in it and the beautiful setting, then I'm going to move the couple into it. And the photograph itself, the setting, will dictate what pose I'm going to want to put them in. And a lot of the times I'm not really putting a lot of effort into put your hands here or tilt your head this way. A lot of times I'm just giving them a very basic directive, like go chest to chest or put your back to his chest, snuggle in together, and they are able to create the interaction based on that initial pose. Um, I don't want to spend too much time over posing them because I'm not going to have that great expression from them. And so if I were to start with them, and then move to the rest of the photograph, I would have to spend a lot more time tweaking them and moving them around, and I would lose those very natural expressions and interactions that they have with one another. You know, I think people, some people may take a look at your beautiful, or the beautiful work on your site or in the book, and they go, wow, you know, she can say that because she goes to all these exotic and beautiful locations. There can't be, a, you know, any bad places to make, you make these kind of portraits. 
because, you know, almost inevitably weddings happen in less than ideal situations. So (laughs) so what do you do when you don't have, you know, Dominican Republic or Mexico as your backdrop? Well, basically, it it all comes down to color and texture for me. Uh, You know, for some people, it's going to be something entirely different. I still have photographs on my website that were taken, you know, at a building that was less than stellar. And, you know, I I went around back and there was a wall that had the paint peeling off of it. Um, And that was my gorgeous backdrop for the couple. Um, I actually once did a seminar where uh, I spoke at the Digital Wedding Digital Wedding Forum convention a couple of years back, and I did a shoot with a couple, which I did entirely in the parking lot of Walmart, because I wanted to demonstrate that you can take beautiful photographs anywhere, and it's like that uh, beginning sequence and end sequence in American Beauty, where you have, you know, that plastic bag that's floating around. You can find beauty in anything. Sometimes it's more difficult. Sometimes you have to look a bit harder and clarify what it is that you find beautiful and what you think your couple is going to find beautiful. But it's easy to get, you know, especially with the camera as our tool and being able to use apertures and, um, you know, shoot things wide open and create this these nice, beautiful, dreamy, creamy backgrounds um, where the texture and color of a wall may mute to a beautiful point where it just looks like this amazing color background, you know, that the couple is just going to pop from. So there's definitely beauty everywhere, everywhere that you go. You just have to learn to look for the light, really. Your book is is a small, almost pocket guide to wedding photography. It's not the, you know, standard size book. It's in small enough to fit into a, into a camera bag. When you were putting together this book, what did you have in mind for it? And, and how were you hoping that this would be different from the other, you know, dozens of, of books that have been written on the same topic? That's a really great question. Um, when I was initially talking to the publisher, and Ilex was fantastic. Um, they're my European publisher, and then Focal um, is the U.S. publisher. They were absolutely wonderful because they really let me um, take it in any direction that I wanted. And part of what I felt was really important for this one was the um, real weddings sequence, uh, the real engagements, and the step-by-step, because I wanted people to be able to pull it open, you know, take it on a shoot with them, pull it open, and get some get some inspiration on the day of the wedding. You know, because if, you know, photographers are anything like me, you'll see something on a blog or you'll see something in a magazine You'll think it's really beautiful. You'll be inspired for it and then, you know, from it. And then the next shoot comes around and all of a sudden you can't remember what it was that inspired you in the first place. You know, were you looking for shadows or, um, you know, was there a certain composition that grabbed you? Something that sparked some sort of interest in your mind that might make you want to try something different. And it's much easier if you have that in your hands and you can look at it and say, oh, you know, that's what I wanted to try. I wanted to sort of play with shadows in this particular shoot. If you have that right there with you, it's certainly a heck of a lot easier to do that. Um, and I wanted to include the real wedding inspiration in there, too, so that, you know, anybody can show just one photograph from a wedding and, you know, have it be a great photograph. If you can't take at least one great photograph from a wedding, you're probably in the wrong business. And so I wanted to show them, you know, this is what my weddings look like. And here are some different weddings shot in very, very different locations. Now, um, you know, how can you take that and apply that to your wedding? So it's really a good resource for, you know, if you're 
if you have a little bit of downtime during the wedding or if you're feeling stuck. Um, that was the goal that we had with this particular book. How long did it take you to put together? Was it because, you know, you have so much work and there's so much material that you could probably include into this book. And yet it's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not war and peace either. So, right. <laughs> if, so, yeah, so talk about in terms of trying to choose what you wanted to emphasize, because it's not a wordy book, but it has some real insight into it. So how did you sort of strike that balance? Well, uh, the publisher didn't give me a lot of time for this book. When they, when they originally contacted me, they said, you know, we want this to be similar to your first book, um, but we want you to add more how-to sections and, you know, add something else in the real weddings that, and the posing guide, the um, co posing and composition guide were the pieces that I added into it. So really, I only had about three weeks to turn it around and add about 25,000 words to it. It was great because it didn't give me a lot of time to rethink. I had to go with my first impression on what I thought was going to be important. My first image selections were the ones that I sent to the publisher. And it was great because I didn't have a lot of time to go back and, and second and third and fourth guess my original assessment. And I didn't have a lot of time to ask people for opinions, <laughs> which was probably a good thing because I would have heard a lot of conflicting advice. So I went with my first, um, my first selections, my first impressions on the written material I was going to add to it, and and I think it worked out pretty well um, in terms of adding to the rest of the book. <laughs> but it was, it was a really fast process. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I what I like about it is how you compartmentalize the different aspects of what happened throughout the day. When people think about a wedding, they think about the wedding. But, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned, you know, the, the cocktail hour, you mentioned, you know, the cutting the cake, the food, you know, you break it down into these sort of bite-sized pieces that I think make it manageable. And more importantly, it allows the reader and the photographer to consider how they need to vary their approaches. And one of the more fascinating things that I, I, I read was during the cocktail hour, you shoot with a telephoto primarily. And that surprised me because I'm always thinking about, you know, shooting with a normal to a wide angle as opposed to using a telephoto, which I often relegate to the ceremony itself. Right. Talk to me about your choice to do it that way as opposed to being right in there. Well, you know, for most of the day, I'm going to be shooting with that wider angle or at least a normal lens. You know, I'm most of the day I'm going to have a 35 on one of my camera bodies. You know, once we transition to the reception... I'm going to change that to a 24, you know, or I'll be going back between the 24 and the 35. The telephoto, I do bring it for the uh, ceremony itself because I don't want to get too close to the couple. But the reason I use it for the cocktail hour is, for me, that's when people are at their most guarded. You know, there are these wedding guests that don't have this personal relationship with me, and they haven't had very much to drink yet, and they're feeling a little bit awkward. They're meeting new people, you know, because very rarely will you go to a wedding where everybody is going to know everybody else. So there is going to be some awkwardness there. And the last thing I want to do is get in their faces. I want to sort of ease into it so that by the time we hit the open dancing and that sort of fun atmosphere, I can be right out in the middle of them and they're not going to notice me. I, what I find at cocktail hours and 
this might just be the way that I work. You know, I, I know other photographers do it differently, but people are in that circle drinking. You know, they're they're standing in a circle and they can almost sense you coming in if you if you get too close to them and they'll actually turn their back on you somewhat, you know, whether they're sensitive about having their photograph taken or they'll turn and do the grip and grin shot, you know, and just look directly at the camera. And I certainly don't mind taking those shots, but neither is really what I'm going for in the cocktail hour. I want to get some very natural expressions, some very natural interactions of people loosening up and enjoying themselves. So the telephoto works really, really well in that instance because, you know, it's like a it's like taking wildlife photos. You know, you don't want to get too close and scare them off and make mm. them do something different. It's a, you know, it gives me an opportunity to to keep that distance between myself and the subject. Yeah, I was talking to another photographer last week, and one of the things he stressed is like he never wants to repeat himself, and he's in a tip, he's in a very different type of photography uh, genre than than weddings. But it made me think about okay, how do you how do you go how do you strike that balance between not repeating yourself but also ensuring that you get that shot because for wedding you this is your only opportunity you don't get any do-overs so right. how do you how do you sort of keep things fresh for yourself so that you are challenging yourself photographically getting creative and not just getting into a rut where you're making the same pictures over and over and over again that's a really great question because um, I've certainly struggled with that in the past, especially when I work at some of the same venues over and over again. And, you know, I work with similar clients. And, uh, you know, you can end up with a wedding that looks almost exactly like another particular wedding that you've had. And, and that can leave you at the end of the day feeling a little bit bored. So one of the first things that I, I realized a couple of years back was that I was going to give myself five minutes at the very beginning of every session. And in those five minutes, I was going to create a few shots for my clients that were very similar to previous shots. A lot of times I'll do some fisheye work uh, with them, which is a little bit different. Uh, you know, a lot of photographers don't do fisheye stuff with, with just the bride and the groom. And so I'll do some fisheye stuff. I'll do some, you know, detail shots with a couple in the background. Uh, and that's going to give me my repeatable shots. You know, that's going to give the client something that they see a lot on my blog, that they see a lot in my work, that is going to allow me to deliver that to something to them that they are expecting. And then after those first five minutes are over, I'm done with the repeated shots. I'm going to move into something that is dictated essentially by the interaction of the couple. I'm going to realize in that first five minutes that the couple is together how they're interacting with one another. And then I'll tailor the rest of the session based on that. You know, and certainly sometimes I'll get some shots that are very similar to previous shots, but I'm always trying to tweak it a little bit. And even in the rest of the day in the reception, I might not, uh, if I'm setting up an external lighting, you know, an external light or strobe, I may set it up in a slightly different place or I may try to bounce my light at a slightly different angle to try something new just so I'm getting something that looks a little bit different from weddings that I've photographed before. So it's a very fine line that you have to walk there because you have to give them something that they're going to be happy with, something that they're expecting. That's why they're hiring you because they trust you to 
to um, deliver something to them that they're going to love. Mm. But at the same time, you want to, you know, you want to be creative with it. So I really find that that first five minutes, if I can just not step outside of the box for the first five minutes, and then after that, I can go anywhere I want with them, which is great. And that's worked out well. That's a good tip. Well, you're primarily a destination a wedding photographer, so you get to do a good amount of traveling, and I'm sure that a lot of people go, "God, how exciting and exotic and wonderful!" <laughs> but I, I, I can imagine that there are some real challenges logistically, and and in a myriad of ways. What what are people not seeing when they look at your website and they see you traveling to all these wonderful locations, making photographs of beautiful people that they have no clue about? That's an excellent question, and you are so right. Everybody always says, oh, I really want to get into destination weddings. And don't get me wrong, I love it because I really love traveling, but I fly about 100,000 miles a year. Um, I'm away from home a lot, and uh, and it certainly puts a strain on it. You know, there are some weekends where I'll be back home for three days a week, and then I'll fly out the next weekend. And, you know, when you're spending anywhere between 12 to 24 hours in an airport or on a plane, uh, that can be really, really tiring, especially if you're doing it, you know, several weekends every month. So the first factor is definitely the the fatigue factor, you know, that goes into traveling. Uh, you're away from your studio. You have to handle all of your clients' um, inquiries, emails, everything remotely, you know, so you have to depend on your laptop. It forces you to take everything mobile, with you. Um, and so that's certainly a strain. You know, it's a strain on the business. It's a strain on your family life. Um, the second thing you need to look at is you have to give yourself a lot of extra time. You know, I would rather not be sitting in a hotel by myself, but at the same time, I can't show up to a wedding the day before or the day of. You know, if I had a wedding right down the street, I'd get up that morning, I'd pack my bag, um, and I'd leave. I'd be ready to go. You know, if it's a destination wedding, I have to be in country or at the location two days before because you never know what's going to happen. You know, you might, your plane might be delayed coming out of Newark and all of a sudden uh, you're going to miss your connection. That can't happen in a situation where you are going to miss an event that can't be covered a different day. You know, so um, you really have to give yourself a lot of extra time to get there. In addition, there are restrictions to traveling with equipment, certain types of batteries, certain types of fluids and lens cleaners and, you know, weight restrictions and size restrictions. And, you know, you'll want to carry everything onto the plane with you. And so you have to be cognizant of what type of plane you're flying on. And then if you're going someplace, you know, having the visa that you're going to need to actually get yourself in country so you're not going to be in trouble. Um, there are so many different factors that go into it. Oh, and the, the big one is you're not going to have access to anything that you've forgotten. You know, if you're in the middle of Mexico and you don't have your D3S charger, you're probably going to be out of luck, you know, because you're not going to be able to go to a B&H or an Adorama or call up a friend and say, hey, can I borrow your charger? So just making sure that you have enough backup equipment that you have everything that you're possibly going to need. And that can get really tiring after a little while. You know, anybody that's gone someplace and forgotten, oh, shoot, I forgot my AA batteries. So suddenly that becomes a much bigger deal if you're in a very remote location. Yeah. I mean, we often talk about photog uh, wedding photography. We're often talking about the day of. Uh, wedding photography is still a business. And mm -hmm. what do you think 
are some of the things that you learned early on business-wise that really helped make the difference for you as a wedding photographer? Oh, I think probably the biggest thing was you have to take care of your clients. You know, this is a word-of-mouth business. You know, taking care of your clients and actually taking care of your vendors is super, super important because these are the people that are going to be talking about you, generating leads, you know, whether they're talking about you in forums, talking about you on a magazine, you know, leaving comments somewhere on Facebook or on your um, photographs. These are the people that are going to be generating more work for you. So really putting everything into client relations, you know, answering emails, making calls, uh, you know, at 11 p.m. I just had a bride the other night who was on a totally different work schedule, and she couldn't talk during the day. And so, you know, we had a consultation. Uh, she's getting married next weekend uh, at midnight, you know, and she said, I can't believe you're talking to me at midnight. And I said, well, you know, I wanted to talk to you before the wedding day. It was important that we hash out some of these details. Absolutely, I'm going to chat with you. You know, I know a lot of people would shy away from that and say you need to have boundaries with your clients. And I certainly do set up boundaries, but I've realized that you need to be really flexible with your clients and with your vendors as well, you know, because I don't put a lot of money into advertising. I, I don't really advertise anywhere. These are the people that are bringing me business year after year. One of, the, one of the things that we talked about before that I thought was really important and was very revealing to me is knowing who's actually footing the bill. Because though you may be talking to the bride and groom primarily, it may be someone else, such as a parent, who's actually, you know, paying for your services and how important it is to make sure that they're happy, you know, and not just the bride and the groom. Right. Um, you know, it's amazing how many people will go into it saying, I'm just here for the bride and groom. I'm just going to make sure that they're happy. And yes, I definitely want to make sure the bride and groom are happy. But, you know, even if they weren't footing the bill, even if the parents are not involved at all, the wedding is so much more than the commitment between two people. Like we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, it's about the coming together of families. You know, the mom who hasn't seen her five brothers and sisters for 15 years, all in one place for 15 years, and it would be really negligent of me not to make sure that I covered those photographs and not to make sure that everybody involved, all the family members were happy because at the end of the day, it's a celebration that's about family, not just about two people, but about everyone, all the friends, all the family. Certainly, you can't make everybody at a wedding happy, but it's definitely a good start, you know, to, to work on the two families and the couple themselves as well. One of the ways that a lot of people want to get into this industry is by playing the role of second or third shooter. And I'm sure you get approached a lot about about doing that. So my question is twofold. What do you look for in in the second or third shooter? And secondly, what do you think that these potential photographers should think about before they even start to ask? That's a really great question. Um, I'm going to start with the second part of your question first, which is what they should do before they even ask. And that's know your camera inside and out. You know, weddings, like we've said a couple of times, they're not events that are repeatable. It's not a portrait session that, you know, if you have an error, whether it's, it's an exposure error or a flash error, no matter what it is, that you can go back and say, oh, shoot, you know, let's get those kids together and we'll do an even longer session. It'll be better this time. You can't do that. So you need to know your equipment inside and out, be able to take photographs in the pitch black, 
know what to press and what dials you need to rotate um, to change your exposure or to, you know, up your flash compensation or to, you know, work your off-camera flash, even if you can't see. And that's really important uh, to know that you're getting the photographs, you know, because you don't have time to take and chimp in between every single photograph. A lot of it is moving really, really fast, and you need to be sure that you are getting the shot and that it's going to be deliverable and well-exposed and in focus. Making sure that you know your equipment inside and out, you know the technical aspect of photography um, is, I think, the most important thing before you approach somebody and say, hey, I'd like to come and learn the business of wedding photography from you. Now, in terms of me, when I'm looking for a second or third photographer, most of the time I'm actually hiring professionals, you know, friends that are in the industry, other professional photographers, because I know that I can guarantee my clients I'm not just saying, you know, hey, I've got an assistant, they're going to be a second photographer. I'm selling the fact that, look, I can guarantee that, you know, if your grandmother asks for a photograph from my second photographer, I can guarantee that that photograph is going to look good, you know, and I can give it to you. So I'm not going to be using an intern for that kind of situation. For, um, you know, third photographers and people that want to tag along and be assistants, you know, which are really carrying the bags, carrying equipment, taking a couple of shots, helping out with things. It's definitely having a portfolio that demonstrates understanding of their camera, understanding aperture, shutter, speed, the relationship between them, how to work your, your flash, that sort of thing. The composition and everything, that can, that can come a little bit later, but the technical needs to be spot on at the beginning. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you don't spend much in terms of advertising, but uh, and that you get a lot of business through word of mouth. But what what do you do in terms of your, your marketing? I know that you have a blog. I, I would think that you need to have some, be a little proactive in terms of making sure that people know that you're out there. So is it part of it that you're continuing to communicate with previous clients in some way? How do you sort of maintain that dialogue so that you're not forgotten so that when the opportunity comes up that your name is the first one that pops into someone's head? Uh, you know, it's a two-fold strategy of sorts. The first, it it takes a little bit less work now than it did a couple of years ago, but it was the idea of publication. Publication is a fantastic way to keep a buzz around your company, uh, to keep people interested in your company, to keep new people learning about your company, to keep your vendors happy so your vendors keep referring you because they're always excited when they're published on a style blog or in a magazine, and they'll keep copies of those magazines or send links to clients, and all of those things have your names on them. So, you know, the first strategy for me was publication. It's free. You know, often you get compensated for it in some way. A lot of times, you know, before I used to have to push things to editors and say, hey, can you take a look at this? But once you get published a fair amount, people come to you and ask, start asking for the weddings or say, hey, you know, I'd really like to feature something at this venue or in this location. What do you have? Because I've worked with you before. So that's a huge strategy for me, um, the publication game. The second strategy is a lot of uh, wedding clients, you know, they get really excited prior to the wedding. There's a lot that goes into the planning a lot of them will talk on forums, you know, whether it's a destination wedding forum, whether it's, you know, a local wedding board. And these people will continue to talk, you know, because after you're done planning the wedding, there's almost a big hole in their time. You know, <laughs> mm. 
they were spending all this time beforehand, and now they need to fill it up somehow. A lot of them will continue to talk on these wedding boards. They'll continue to share their, their wedding photographs. They'll continue to talk about the vendors that they're happiest with. And one of the great things is that, you know, the photographs, whether they want to talk about the cake, whether they want to talk about the invitations, I've got great photographs of all of those. So every time they want to show something from their wedding, it has my name attached to mm. it. And and that has been a wonderful strategy as well, especially in my business, because, you know, it's one thing if you are working with a lot of local clients and you can work with the bride and then you photograph all of her bridesmaids because they all live in the same town. My situation is very different from that. You know, I may be photographing a wedding in California and they've got bridesmaids coming in from Hong Kong and they might not want to hire a destination photographer. They might want to hire somebody that's local in Hong Kong to photograph their wedding. And that's great. And I can totally respect that, uh, you know, because I only want somebody to hire me if they are super excited about my style and they think it stands out. But I do want those people to go and say, hey, you know, this isn't the person I use, but my best friend used them for their wedding. And I really love this particular shot that she took. So I find that, um, you know, having a great relationship with my clients, with my vendors, that really helps drive the marketing machine for me. Well, the last question I always ask is that I ask um, a photographer to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone that you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be for you and why? Oh, you know, there are so many great choices, but I'm going to go with another wedding photographer in this instance, just because I have wedding photography on the brain right now. Um, and I'm going to say Ben Chrisman. Uh, he just has an amazing understanding of composition and light and you know he's primarily a photojournalist and his compositions are just amazing his ability to capture fantastic shots you know from angles that I never would have considered it's just a fabulous skill that he has and his work never ceases to amaze me well thank you Michelle I can't thank you enough well thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it Thanks for joining me for another episode. If you have any comments, please feel free to email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and now Google+. Also, my new video podcast, Chasing the Light, is now available for subscription via the iTunes Store. So if you haven't already been downloading the episodes via the RSS feed, consider subscribing there. This episode was edited by Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And I'm Ibarian X. Borello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocast Network dot com.